Welcome to College Unbound, the weekly podcast by Focus Collegiate, dedicated to diverse learning in the college environment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jane Taylor here with Focus Collegiate founder Grant Liebersberger. Nice to see you, Grant. Hi again, Jane. Our subject this week is self-advocacy. Self-advocacy is important at any age, right? We all need to speak up for ourselves and the things we care about. We need to be able to ask for what we need. We need to communicate our feelings. Self-advocacy helps us gain clarity and meet our goals. But self-advocacy is a more critical skill for college students who learn differently. Tell us about that, Grant. Well, self-advocacy is one of the measures that we really uh, work with our students and try to evaluate in their global college independence. And it's, it's an abstract concept in that, uh, you know, what exactly is self-advocacy? So there's no real measures or evidence-based or verified studies out there, to my knowledge, that rates self-advocacy. And for us, it's more of an analysis by just looking at where students are at in terms of understanding themselves, uh, understanding the environment that they're in, and what steps they will take to get their needs met. And part of this is being able for us to be able to look at a student's in vivo or in the college setting, how well are they doing? And we take from all kinds of different ways when we evaluate a student's self-advocacy skills. The challenge with students with learning differences coming from high school is that by law, uh, the services come to the student. So the student doesn't necessarily need to develop self-advocacy skills for them to get support from the district because the school is absolutely, at least in the public education and private education system in the United States, is responsible for the student learning. (laughs) And if the student is not learning, it's not the responsibility of the student, actually, uh, to some degree. And what I said might be a little controversial, but the reality is, is that the students are, the skills come to the student at the high school setting. Is it possible that high school students might not even be aware of some of the services they're using? They're aware that maybe they're going to a resource room a couple hours a week or or that they're meeting with their counselor. Um, So they might be aware that they're going to places and they may be aware that they are receiving additional services relative to their Mm -hmm. peers. They may not understand why. They are certainly invited into the IEP process where they have to sign off on why these resources are being deployed in their, uh, in their day. But the degree of understanding is variable, is what I will say. Okay, good. Thanks. Back to the college Yeah, so in the, in, the, in the college setting, unlike high school, the students have to go and get their services. And they have to go to the university accommodations office. They have to be able to explain what their learning profile looks like, provide documentation, develop a accommodations letter in concert with a case management professional and deliver that letter to their professors. And so, and whether the professor 
by law uh, follows through with the letter or not is again maybe a little bit variable based on institution but most institutions of course will try to get their professors to be able to deploy course material in a way in which student with learning differences can absorb it but that's just an example of what a student has to do with the college setting which is different from the high school setting to be able to get the supports and services that they might need. How does Focus Collegiate support students in the development of self-advocacy? So we work with our students to use a metaphor or a, uh, to vote with their feet. We are using the college accommodations process as a metaphor for self-advocacy skills in their life. And so by helping them self-advocate at the college level, we're also practicing and building self-advocacy skills for life. We're just doing it in a smaller, more regimented context. However, in order for a student to be able to engage in self-advocacy, they certainly have to have a certain couple of other things on, on board in order for them to be able to kind of complete the self-advocacy circle. So self-advocacy is a skill that can be learned through practice. How do college students practice at Focus Collegiate College students? Right. Practicing is consistent with our experiential learning model. And so we do a lot of reflecting with our students on, during, and after the practice uh, on how there might be broader application in life as to how these deployable skills are gonna look in the workforce or in their interpersonal relationships. There are broader applications for what we're practicing every day. And yet the students have to have a little bit of volition in the matter. They have to have a little bit in the problem solving skills department. They have to have a little bit in the understanding of their learning profile department. They have to have some understanding of their feelings and, you know, and their, and their, again, willingness to participate in whatever venue that they are participating in. So it's not just that self-advocacy on its face is what we're working on, because you have to work on all kinds of these different things in concert in order to create a good self-advocate. Mm -hmm. It's a great segue to my next question about the relationship between self-awareness and self-advocacy. It strikes me that self-advocating requires a certain amount of, well, understanding of your learning profile, certainly, but also understanding of your goals and, um, well, what do you think? Agreed. No, and, and self-awareness is not just limited to the self. It's also being able to perceive accurately uh, the environment that you're in. Not only should your assessment be inward targeted, your understanding of yourself, and of course, again, the way we get to self-awareness is by using our intentional change theory model to help our students ground themselves in their personal self-awareness, but also accurately reading the environment that they're going into. So there's that external self-awareness and how does yourself interact with your perceived environment? And both of those things work towards the self-advocacy piece. Mm -hmm. I just highlighted this question for myself. How do students know what they need? <laughs> uh, sometimes they don't. Uh, right. I think that's the, I say to families and students all the time, you don't know really what you don't know. And if you are an inbound freshman and you are used to things coming to you in high school and all of a sudden you have to flip that on its head 
-hmm. do you really know what you're talking about? And the answer is oftentimes no. So we try to create scenarios for our students, especially during the summer cohort, where there are students will come and participate with us for three weeks over the summer, where students have to game out these things, either legitimately on the campus that they're about to attend, or yes. in a mock environment. Our students are going in with some level of awareness of the environment that they're about to go into. And, and again, it's consistent with an experiential learning model and being able to practice it before it's very real. And therefore, we are giving our students some level and some reference before they go into the novel setting of college where they have never done it before. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the relationship between self-advocacy and how self-determination and problem solving and student engagement are all related to self-advocacy. Again, I don't think you can have one without the other and the degree of success in the self-advocacy department largely depends on skills in, again, a lot of other areas, as you mentioned. Like when you say self-determination, I think of what's a student's volition in, in, in this matter. How much do they believe that they might have a learning difference or understand their learning difference enough to know that they need the support in order to know and value going to the college accommodations office. And so just even on that thread, it's, it's already a complicated uh, mm -hmm. way of getting there. But we assess student volition by talking with our students about their level of self-awareness and their willingness to share that with others and how determined are they in order to uh, be able to have success in college relative to their understanding of their learning profile and how willing are they also to maybe overcome stigma presenting yourself to your professor saying that I'm different and I need something is difficult for anybody. The self-determination or volition piece is one part of the self-advocacy. The other part is showing up. Uh, do you have the organizational capacity on board to show up at the right time? Are you organized enough to make sure that you bring the paperwork that's required? The other pieces, and that all kind of goes towards the problem solving thread that you are acknowledging. Mm -hmm. And then, and then student engagement. It's one thing to go in there and present your paperwork, get your accommodations letter, present it to the professor. It's quite the other to follow up with the case management professionals and continue to work with them so that they understand and are tracking your progress alongside of you. And th that way, a lot of these case management professionals and disability service coordinators on campuses are really there for the students who show up. The students who don't show up quickly fall off the radar. Mm -hmm. I think the average case management ratio is 200 students per professional on these campuses. Oh, wow. And so the professional will, will direct the accommodations and their efforts to students that show up. So the student's perpetual level of engagement throughout the semester with their case manager and with the professor as with their self-advocacy skills, oftentimes students will have extended time on tests or they'll have the capability of taking an exam in a quiet space. And the continuation of that is only as good as the students continued asking for it. So the continued engagement with a student throughout the semester is also a part of the self-advocacy. And those three concepts 
make up a portion of the equation. Let's bring it back from the case management offices of disability services. Let's bring it back to the Focus Collegiate Student Life Coordinator and the relationship between the Focus Collegiate staff member and the student. And I'm thinking specifically about the relationship between self-advocacy, the student support agreement, and the learning agenda. That's, that's a great question. Through the learning agenda uh, process and the intentional change theory process, we are able to ascertain a student's competency and understanding their own learning profile, which is job one. Mm-hmm. Once, once we are there, then we are able to educate the student on how to talk about that with other people in a way that will be most beneficial at the college setting, but also in life. What we're working on with our students and generally our staff are comprised of three different silos. We have our collegiate life coordinator, we have our student skills specialist, and we have our learning specialist. And not every student will work with all three of those, but when the student is starting this self-advocacy process, certainly the collegiate life coordinator will be helping the student target their skills and then their gaps in the self-advocacy equation. And the learning specialist will be helping them on how they talk about it. And then the student skills specialist will might work on some discrete skills uh, during the semester on how we get better at this skill. And so our team is in kind of this constant conversation with our students to help not only translate the experience that they've had being a self-advocate, but also thinking about ways that it can be done better or relieve anxiety about the process and to work with the student's internal skill set that they already have as well to be able to create a higher level of competency. Constant conversation. There's a great Rumi poem about constant conversation, but I'm just thinking how comforting it must be to have such an advocate at any time. It's I, I think I think our parents are particularly excited about uh, <laughs> handing off the, the student self-advocacy growth uh, to us. And, uh, and, and the more students that we serve, the more that they are uh, more highly engaged and more excited about Um, They're already excited about college. It's Mm -hmm. just when parents and students have very frank and age-appropriate discussions about what's going to happen when you become an adult, I think having Focus Collegiate as the advocate, but also a place for a student to go that is non-parental is actually, it's again, age appropriate, but also professionally appropriate. And, uh, and I think when we're done in the admissions conversation with all parties, everyone usually breathes a collective sigh of relief uh, that there's such a strong uh, group in the student's corner. It's really exciting. Well, thanks again. There's so much to learn about your relationship with students and how Focus Collegiate works each uh, conversation. A constant conversation I'm learning every time. <laughs> yeah, and cheerleading. Let's not forget. Uh, yeah. The PEA, as we talked about, is required that we focus on some of the positive and cheerleading uh, for our students because oftentimes, I say this to families and students, sometimes our students just need a, 
quote unquote, you got this conversation. Yeah. And it's not so much about, you know, whether somebody has a master's degree in special education, you know, working in the process. Sometimes literally self-advocacy is just, and building those skills, just having someone around you saying, you know, with a trusting resident relationship that, oh, you totally got this. And I think that's as probably as beneficial as all of our highly sophisticated deployment mechanisms that we have. Yeah. For, for people listening, PEA is a positive emotional attractor, something we've discussed a few times in this podcast. Is there anything you'd like to close with in terms of self-advocacy? Would you like to leave parents with a thought or? I don't think so. I think it's, again, you've summed it up quite well. All right. Well, thank you, Grant. And I look forward to our next conversation. Likewise, Jane.